are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kedish Pashas, Shemais. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us a chance to spend a bit of time together and learn a little bit of Torah. So last week, for those who were with us, we were a little bit controversial. We were talking about the subject of Mechila and forgiveness and Yosef forgiving his brothers or not forgiving his brothers. And yeah, we got flack for it, but that's that's fine. So, uh, not being one to run away from controversy, this week maybe a little bit more of, of the, uh, of the same. And as I say, you're more than welcome to give feedback either to the station or to me directly. Really, really interested to find out what you hear. There's a posuk at, in the beginning of the sixth parsha, which is the beginning of the story of, of the redemption. And of course, it starts with the birth. Of, of Maisha Beinu. And the Torah says, in Perik Beis, Pasuk Beis, regarding the birth of Maisha, it says, Atara Isha, the woman, Yochebed's mother, became pregnant, Vateled Bein, and she gave birth to a son, Vatere and she saw him, Kitaifu, literally, that he was good. Vatitzbenehu Shleishayrochim, and she hid him away for three for three months. Right? And of course we know the concept of why she hid them away for three months. Uh we're told that uh um Maisha's father, Amram, got remarried to to Yochevet, and uh, the Egyptians understood that they were getting married to have children, so they counted nine months. Moshe Ben was born prematurely, so they had a bit of a of, of, of a gap, a bit of a, uh, a free period where they wouldn't be scrutinized by by the Egyptians. But the question is, what is the meaning of the expression "ki taifu, that he was that he was good? So the Eben Ezra explains very very simply, right? That we're talking about what you call Geled Yafe. He was a very, very good-looking, handsome, I guess the word would be, child. Now, Chazal, in Mesech and Daf so they give various explanations, different explanations, for what the word Toiv is. It says the Gemara, What does it mean they saw that he was good? Tanya. Once it'll be learned in a brisa. Rabbi Meir Oimer, Rabbi Meir says, Toiv Shmoi. That was his name. They are straight away at, at the bris, gave him a name, Vayikare Shmoi Bisro. What would be his name? Toiv. That's the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda Oimer, Rabbi Yehuda says, No. Toivya Shmoi. His name wasn't Toiv, it was Toivya or Tuvya, which uh, uh, includes the name of Hashem also. Rabbi Nechemia says, Rabbi Nechemia says, no, what does it mean? Toiv, Hogon Lenevius. 
he was a person who was appropriate that in the future he would become a, a prophet. We have a fourth opinion. Acherim oimim, acherim say, noyelad kishumol. It's what does it mean? Toiv, that he was born already having had a brismila. There was no need to perform a brismila. That which had to be cut off in the brismila already was cut off by Moshe Ben when he was born. And the final opinion, the Chachamim say, that Bishar Shenoilad Moshe, at the time when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, Nismale Habayis Kuloi Oyer. The whole house became full of light. Why? As you know, because he brings a Pasuk here, the Pasuk says, Vatele Oisoi Ki They saw that he was Toiv. And way, way back on the first day, of creation, it says, Vayar Elohim es ha'or kitoiv. That HaKadosh Baruch saw that the light was good, so it says kitoiv by the birth of Moshe and kitoiv by the creation of light. So the Chacham learned that the kitoiv was that Moshe Ben when he was born, the entire house became full of, of light. Now, going back, according to the mayor, who says his name was Taiv. So that really is the definition. The name of, of Moshe Rabbeinu was actually Taiv. That was his name. According to Yehuda, his real name, the name his parents gave him at the bris was Tuvia. According to Rabbi Nehemiah, so, uh, Taiv is, is an expression that, uh, uh, kind of indicates his ability that Moshe Rabbeinu would be able to have to have prophecy. And according to Acherim, this is coming to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu was born already having had a bris. And according to Chachamim, it's coming to teach us that at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu's birth, the entire house became full of a, whether it was a physical or a spiritual light, it was, it was illuminated to a great extent. And as we know, he compares it to the creation of light during the days of, of creation. Now, the, the, the Sephorna, in his commentary on, on this Pasuk, so he tries to kind of put together and, and, and combine, uh, uh, that which seems to be the, the simple chat, i.e., that he was a very, very good looking, beautiful child, and, the, the, the Jush, right, which, uh, speaks about his, seemingly his Ruchnis, his, his, uh, his, uh, spiritual perfection. So he says, Noilad Mo, he was born with a Brismila, Muchan the Kabbalah Snavua, already, sort of a, a, a person who would be definitely be receptive to being able to get, uh, 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 Nismalea Bayasar, and the whole, the house became full of, 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 of life. And of light. And, and this one goes on to explain that since Maisha Benu's mother, Yachevet, she saw that this was an, an extraordinary child. First of all, physically, he was extraordinarily handsome or beautiful. So she understood that as someone who has those kind of physical qualities, she understood that 
such a person also has internal, you know, so it's intellectual and, and spiritual speciality also. In fact, to quote this one, he says, what's kitaivu? He was good. Yafe, he was beautiful. Kamoi, kitaivais heina. That they, uh, they saw that they were good looking. Rasu yafe, yaise mima shahaya murga. She saw that he was more beautiful than a child usually is. But Khashvan, she thought, shezeh aisalitachlis. Mukhubim, that there was a very, very definite reason why this was so. Who created him? Ki anam yoifi hatavnis, a physical, external beauty, yoyne altoiv mezeg hachoyme ushleimus hakoyach amatsaya. It, it, it depicts what, what you see on the outside also depicts a beauty a perfection, a speciality of what was inside, of what was part of the makeup, a part of the spirituality of of the of the child. So he says the physical beauty was then a simon, a, a, a external sign of what was going on in, inside of of of, of my Shabbat. So it comes out therefore that this external beauty testifies about the internal a beauty, and, 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 and that this is a child who's, uh, absolutely appropriate for all great things. And find, we find in Chazal that they praised the external beauty of, of, of various, uh, 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 characters in the Torah. We find that they're praised for their external physical beauty. Which of course would seem strange to us. Why would the Torah be accenting someone's physical beauty? But we see that the Torah does. And when we come back after the break, we're going to give a few examples of that. And with that, we'll develop our concept that we want to bring home today. This is 11.9. Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul. Stay with us. We're just getting warmed up. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kedish. We are talking about beauty. And in fact, speaking about the fact that the Gemara sometimes even accentuates physical beauty. For example, there's Gemara in Brachas. On Dafheim and Beis, that says that Rabbi Lazar became ill, and Rabbi Yochanan came to visit him, and Rabbi Yochanan saw that Rabbi Elazar was living in a very very dark house, so he opened the curtain, and the, the the light, the house became full of light, and Rabbi Yochanan was able to see that Rabbi Lazar was was crying. So Rabbi Yochanan asked Rabbi Lazar, "Why are you crying?" He says. If it's because of the fact that uh, you didn't learn enough Torah, well, that's something to cry about. We already learned that whether you learn a lot of Torah or a little bit, provided you learn the Shem Shemayim, that's, that's all our Kodesh Baruch wants. And if you're crying about the fact that you were so poor in your lifetime, 
not everyone merits to to uh, have uh, have such wealth in in this world to have great Torah knowledge and great wealth at the same time. And if you're crying about your children who passed away, so he showed him the the uh, a bone from Rabbi Yochanan's tenth child. Nebuchadnezzar Rabbi Yochanan buried ten children in his lifetime. And Rabbi Lezer said to him, says, I'm crying about your beauty that eventually is going to end up in, in a grave. Says Rabbi Yochanan, about that, it's worthwhile to cry. And together, the two of them, the two of them cried. So, if this is what Gemara is saying, then we have to ask a, a question. There's a Gemara in Tanks on Dav Zayin, which tells the story about the uh, the daughter of of the Caesar said to Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, he says, uh, you are such amazing, amazing Chachma, but you are in cows in such an ugly body. You know, Rabbi Yeshua was not such a, a handsome fellow. So, Rabbi Yeshua maybe said to her, says, tell me, where does your father store his, his wine? Does he store it in, in earthenware, uh, uh, dishes? And, 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 and sort of, you know, so she said, yeah, what else, what else should he, should he have stored in? So Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua said to her, oh, you? You're so harsh of you. You're, you're the Caesar. You really should store your wine in vessels of gold and silver. So she went and she told her father that they should store the, all the wine in, in, in gold and, and silver vessels. And of course, the wine all went off, all became vinegar. So they told this to the Caesar. So the Caesar asked his daughter, who gave you such an advice to store the wine in, in, in silver and gold? So she said to him, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah. So they went and they, they uh, summoned Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah to come in front of the Caesar. So he said to the Caesar, why did you give her such an advice to my daughter? So Rabbi Yeshua answered in the same way that she claimed about me that I'm incredibly uh, 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 bright, but in such an ugly body. So I claimed back to her. So the Caesar asked him, but there are Tamid Chachamim who are very good looking. And she asked a question. You're so clever, so bright, but you're so, uh, uh, not, not so good looking. Says Rabbi Yeshua and answered, if they would have been as ugly as I am, they would have been even greater Tamil Chacham. That's what Yeshua answer answer his question. Comes out that the the so called ugliness is is in fact a, a a trademark of of the Chacham and, and it's it's a tremendous advantage. It's it's a Maila. So if so, then how can we praise Physical beauty. Rabbi Yeshua, in fact, was saying no, that the lack of physical beauty isn't even a greater indication of, of the, of the aptitude of the, of the wisdom of the success of the Talmud Chacham. All it seems to be, if you look very, very closely 
at the words of a Yerushua ben Hanania, you'll see that practically speaking, he was not in any way criticizing uh, 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 the beauty of other things, but he was he was saying that beauty brings with it very very great challenges, right? The Gemara and Tainus, uh, uh, kind of uh, before that, brings a a a before the story. It says that Divrei Torah Eneskayim Ela B'Mishe Datay Shvela. Torah can only take up residence in someone who is very, very modest as, as, uh, as the daughter of, of uh, Kezan. And he brings this, this story. In other words, in reality, as far as the Chochmah that comes from the sort of the, the face of, 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 a chach, of a Chacham, really a Chacham has to be good looking. Why? Because the Pasuk says, Ki Chochmas Adam Ta'ir Panav. Right, the wisdom of a person lights up his face, and same as it's written in the in the in the sefer Avas Yenison, he says that when when a person is 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 visited, when a person uh, is is a host to the shechina, so that makes the person into a very very good looking person, as it says Chochmas Adam Toyeponav. That Chochma lights up a person, and therefore. Where we read in Megillus Esther that Esther supposedly had a, a, a green complexion. But when Batilbash Esther Malchus, which Chazal say didn't just mean she put on her royal clothes, she adorned herself in Ruach HaKadosh, then she was the most beautiful of all, of all women. So what, what we sort of learn from this is that a Tamil Chochem if he is ugly, it's not in any way a statement about his lack of chokhmah, but it's an understanding that if this person would be beautiful, then the test would be that it might, on the contrary, make him into an arrogant person. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose rather to make him not so good-looking so that he wouldn't have that test, he wouldn't have that temptation, and be able to focus completely and totally on, on growing himself in, in Ruchnius in, uh, in, in, in Torah. But the reality is, there's a Rashi in Mesechus Avaydazara, says, he says that the reason <coughs> why, uh, uh, are not always so good looking, is because to become a real Tamachachim, you have to make such a supreme effort and put all of your koychas, all your energy, all your time, all your prowess into your learning Torah. And they really, really push themselves to, to the limit. And therefore, they don't necessarily take as much physical care of themselves as, as other people might, might do. And that's what it means, that it's an ugly kli, because the might not be as, 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 uh, as, as, uh, as fastidious in, in grooming himself, in taking the time to do that. And therefore, the, the, the ugliness is simply a, a sign that they're spending all their time learning, learning Torah. And not that they themselves 
are, are, are ugly, are ugly people, in fact. So we have now actually two approaches that, uh, as to how to understand the issue, that the natural state of a great person whose inside is great and sweet, that should exude onto his face, and he should be a beautiful, physically beautiful person also. Why, why we find maybe some who aren't? So you see two, two different answers. Number one, either because, uh, Akarish Prochun is great, Chachma, was worried and knowing, because he created a person who knows them so well, understands that physical beauty in, in a person can sometimes be a tremendous test. Could cause a person to think about the wrong things, to be arrogant about, about themselves, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that these people should not have to expend energy overcoming unnecessary tests, and therefore he took that test away so that they could uh, uh, exert more energy, more time, and more of their focus on their actual learning. The second idea we saw is that sometimes a person who may be beautiful, but because he's so involved and, and so completely, completely immersed in, in his Torah, in his growth, that he doesn't necessarily uh, spare the time or the effort to, to maintain himself and therefore may not look as, as beautiful as he possibly could. There's another very interesting uh, approach to, uh, to our question. It's brought by uh, Rabbi Yonis Naibishitz in, in his Sefer, Yarest Vash, in, in Drush David. He says, go out and see how terrible the concept of sin is and how avarice and sin can cause not only that a person loses his his money but even can cause a deterioration of his physical beauty the Gemara says again in Tainus Dav Zayin at the Asra of Yeshua Ben Ben Hananya right how could you be so just beautiful Torah in such an ugly dish? So we brought to a discussion that took place between Rabbi Yeshua and the Caesar's daughter. But the conclusion of the story was that Rabbi Yeshua was answering, answering her that sometimes the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu does things is that he puts that Bali Torah, those who are really involved in Torah, right? Where the Torah of Mamish uh, uh, lives in them and, and, and becomes part of their very essence. So that it's stored in, in ugly kalim. And they want to ask, I, what about Maisha Benu? Maisha Benu, we said, was as bright as the sun and the face of Yeshua was as bright as the, as the moon. Right? And then we find also the beauty of, of Yaakov Avinu. The experience the concept is, it's already very well known that the philosophers say that, that a human being today is a composite of both, obviously, his parents, but also there are other factors, the sun, the constellations, and all those types of things play a part in the creation of, of, a, of, of a person. Says it's well known by the uh, the naturalists that someone who has a a, a a human nature that is he calls it green and black 
is someone that is already predestined to become a very, very intelligent person. But that combination of different factors <coughs> also has an effect on the physical appearance of the person. And such a person is known not to be such a, a beautiful, a beautiful person. It seems to be someone who's quite, quite, uh, uh, weak, quite thin, and, and the face, uh, it doesn't look so, so appealing. And that's what it says that both Torah and science are the makeup of, of, of a, of a person who's not so pretty. Because it, 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 uh, it's based on the, the synthesis of the different, of the different constellations. That's what creates a, a, a person. So says Rav Yenison Ibishitz, he says, it's, it's obvious that those great people who were born before we were under at all the control of, of the constellation, so there the rule of Chochmas Odom Toyer Ponov. The Chochmah was lit up the face, the face also. And therefore, all those Rishonim who were completely, completely, not even a, a, a privy at all to the influences of, of the constellation. So they were all beautiful people, uh, both physically and spiritually. However, when we went into Golas, because of our terrible Averis, and therefore, we now sort of speak under the control of, of the game symbolized by the control of the more natural forces and the, and the stars and the constellation. So therefore, uh, uh, the very, 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 uh, 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 physical quality of our bodies and, uh, and our physical abilities have been, have been reduced. And, and therefore, the, the, uh, a, a beautiful, body for a person is not such a a benefit because for us physical beauty ends up being something that is quite taxing and quite tempting and can possibly lead a person in the wrong in the wrong in the wrong direction. Fascinating. In other words, that those first generations where they lived in, in a world that was complete hashkocha protest with no uh, connection at all to the other forces in in the world and their influences, right? Like the generation of Yaakov Avinu or Moshe Rabbeinu, that they weren't at all controlled by the by the Mazalas. So there, for them, physical beauty was an indication of their actual spiritual greatness. Also, however, after we've uh, unfortunately gone down. In, in our, in our level. And, and, uh, what's going on in the, in the world above us has a tremendous influence on us. There, on the contrary, the, the best place for Chochmah to be preserved and developed is in an ugly vessel. In a person that's not so beautiful, because again, with their physical beauty to be too pronounced, that could lead a person to a situation where he might end up uh, not being able to handle that that type of that type of uh, 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 test. However, the reality is that even in the world we live in, Baruch Hashem, we 
merit we are zayche to have amongst us great, great people, great Tamil Chachamim in all realms of Torah. Those who are great in, in going into the depth of, of Torah, those who are great in, in Paskin uh, Halacha, in, in Torah law, those who are great philosophers and thinkers, and they're full. They are repositories of, of Torah knowledge. And yet we do find that even in our generation, they're very, very beautiful uh, 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 people. You can look at them and, and just the, the beauty of them projects, projects out. And the understanding of that is that a true Torah scholar, a true Tamachacham, is not someone who merely and only uh, studies Torah as a as a uh, science, as a, as a uh, kind of a discipline, and becomes someone who is is expert in many degrees of of, of Torah, as one might be in, in some other scientists. You've amassed a lot of knowledge and become someone who's an expert in 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 the field. If that's all Torah would be to someone, then there's it would have absolutely no effect on his physical on his physical being. But the reality of the way we understand a Torah lifestyle is that Torah has a profound effect upon a person. A person who learns Torah and learns the lessons of Torah and learns the way the Torah views the world and the way the Torah views interpersonal relationships and how we have to behave to other people. So when a person learns that and, and they kind of gets inside his kishkes and becomes, and becomes part of him. So then it's going to change him as, as a person. When you start learning, when we learn safe abrasions and we learn the, the conduct and all that happened to our, our great avot and the way they reacted and the way they handled very, very stressful situations and, and sometimes very, very challenging types of people and, and the beauty and, and the, the quiet and dignified way in which they approach situations like that. That was the Torah inside them. That was all they had imbibed that had filtered through their very beings and therefore was manifest in every area of their lives, including on their on, on their faces. So when you look at the face of a Tamachacham and you see the Torah shining through, that's because we're talking about people that have not just learnt and imbibed Torah, but allowed it to become something that has a profound influence on every area of their, of their lives. This is 11.9. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilcha Shabbos segment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kedish, Pasha Shmois, Tov Shin Pei Gimel. And such a warm welcome, for thank you for joining us, those who just joined now, towards the end of the show, we're about to begin our, our segment of Hilchos Shabbos and Hilchos Bishel, but before we do that, as we always do at this point on the show, just to give you the very important details you need to get this Shabbos organized and running. So the earliest time 
for benching lech for lighting Shabbos candles. This afternoon is at 5.39. That's the earliest time you can do it, and that's plenty of time. Got plenty of time to get all the food hot and get everything organized and get our Shabbos on the go so that we can light the candles at the first available opportunity and really bring the environment, bring the avira, bring the atmosphere, bring the kedusha of Shabbos into our home at the earliest possible moment. If we're not able to light our candles at such an early moment, so then we know, need to know the latest time for benching lich this afternoon is at 6.47, 13 minutes before 7, and that's the latest it's ever going to get. In fact, this is the second Shabbos that it's at that time. Next week already, Shabbos is going to get earlier. And as I always say, that's a sure indication that winter is on the way, irrespective of what the temperatures might be today. So 647 is the latest, although, of course, many communities at this time of the year accept the standard uh, Shabbos time for Johannesburg, which is quarter past six, and of course, if your community accepts Shabbos a quarter past six, so whenever it is that your shul gets to, let's say, around the end of the Chaday, the Mizmo Shliyama Shabbos, then uh, automatically you become bound by them, <coughs> and Shabbos has begun in your in your uh, in your life. Um, uh, Shia then is at five minutes past seven. That's, uh, as I say, that's always just danger time. You may not use the time between 6.47 and 7.05 for just sort of normal activities. It's only if you're in a really, really rushed situation and you're desperate to use that time because you're in, it's, a, it's a panic station kind of situation, then you can use that. Otherwise, as far as we are concerned, Shabbos begins in all of its glory from 6.47. If you want to daven myrev before the meal and be able to say Kriyashmas, that you won't need to repeat it again, then all you have to do is wait till about 23 minutes past 7 and daven myrev then and say Shema then, and then you've done the mitzvah as far as the Torah is concerned, and you won't have to repeat the Kriyashma later. And then, of course, you're free to make Kiddush and sit Hamaytzi, and sit down with the family to a beautiful, beautiful Suda covered Shabbos and uh, to enjoy the food and enjoy the company, enjoy, as I would say, some nice Devetera and some good Zemiris and really make it a, a time that, that is going to be memorable because those Shabbos meals are something that stick in all of our memories and, and, and give us energy and give us inspiration to carry on for many, many weeks and years and decades to 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 come. Tomorrow morning, of course, we are laning Pasha Shemais. We are beginning the second book of the Torah, Pasha Shemais. And uh, the Haftarah is the normal Haftarah for, for Pasha Shemais, Habayim Yashosh Yaakov. And uh, the Shabbos continues. And uh, as I say, it's the longest Shabbos of, of the year. Shabbos Kodesh ends at 7.39 at uh, 21 minutes to eight eight o'clock, and again, as I said, next week it will be earlier than that. All, all already. So enjoy the long day. Use it positively. Use it in the right way. Get a bit of a rest. Spend some time with friends, and most, most importantly, 
spend some time studying HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beautiful Torah because that's what Shabbos was actually made for, for us to, to, to do. Okay, we are talking about our introduction to the laws of, of Bishul, of, of, of cooking, and we are, we asked that last week we spoke about uh, solid foods, uh, how one can cook and what are the conditions under which cooking might take place. So this week I want to mention about what is the situation with things that are liquid. And when we go to heat liquid foods, how does that work into the laws of, of Bishop? So there are really two customs. The, the Sephardim are of the opinion, and we already mentioned this principle in, in, in the previous show, that there's this concept of Ein Bishel Achar Bishel, that once something has been cooked, i.e. in the case of, of a liquid, once something has been heated once, it can never again be heated. And therefore, it will be permitted to heat up on Shabbos anything that's been properly cooked, you'll be allowed to reheat it. For example, you'll be allowed to take out of the fridge, let's say, some cooked fish or or, or a fried uh, a fried schnitzel and to heat it even to a heat of more than Yatsa lettuce boy, more than the forty five degrees we we spoke about and, and that's permitted on the condition right that the way you do it is not done in a way that resembles Bishel, as we're going to talk about later when I do it in a way that doesn't look like you're actually cooking it. However, there is a very, very fundamental argument between the, the great uh, uh, Rishayim even regarding the question, does this principle of Ein Bishlach Bishel apply also to liquid things, let's say your 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 soup or or or, or a, a gravy, right? Something that's liquid is something that if you're going to leave it, let's say, in a in a plate, so liquid means it's not going to remain in a blob, it's going to spread to all sides of the plate at, at an equal height. That is what's defined as a a liquid. And if it's going to remain in the place where you put it, so then it will, uh, it, it will, it will sit there and it's going to, it's going to, to remain there. Now, according to various of the Rishonim, such as the, the, the Rambam, the Rashba, and the Ran, so even if I have soup and that soup has already been cooked, so we can still apply the principle of Ein Bishel Acha Bishel. And therefore, according to their opinion, according to the Ramah Nashba and, and the Ran, you'd be allowed to take that pot of soup out of the fridge and to heat it in such a way, as long as it doesn't look like a cooking, which we're going to see means you can't put it directly on a fire, you'd have to put it on, on a blech or something like that, you'd be allowed to heat it on Shabbos according to those those poiski. However, Many of the other Rishonim, such as Rashi and the Rosh and the Smag and Smat, they say no. The principle of Ein Bishel Acha Bishel 
only applies to a solid kind kind of food. Only there do we apply this rule that once it's been cooked, it can never be cooked again, and therefore you could heat it in a way that doesn't look like like your 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 cooking it. That only applies to to uh, to solid uh, uh, foods, and those therefore once they're totally cooked could be reheated in in certain ways that we'll discuss. However, these were shown hold that when we come to liquid foods, even if they have been completely cooked, if they cool down, and you know, it's back sort of to, to like a room temperature, so then you are not allowed to heat them up again because that is considered a new act of cooking. And that's because when we're talking about a solid food, the main cooking uh, is is what uh, created the 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 taste and gave it the 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 personality and the and the kind of the the appearance of a cooked food, whether whether it be the baking or the cooking. That's what made it into a food. And there's actually really no major difference whether this is hot. Or call you a, a, a kugel or, or, or loaf of bread or a schnitzel. Basically, they're completely edible, either hot or or cold, and uh, there's no real great big distinction, even by by a fish or, or or by potatoes, if they're hot or cold. Yes, maybe it's it's a little bit nicer hot, but it's totally and completely enjoyable cold also, and therefore, from the moment that those solid foods got the taste and the appearance and the uh, kind of label of being cooked or baked, their cooking process is finished. And therefore, even if they got cold, you'd be allowed to warm them up because there's no longer anymore a prohibition of visual on on them. We're going to come back and then discuss the contrast between them and liquid foods in a moment. This is 1.9, FM, soul to soul. And this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pasha, Shemais, Tav Shem, We're talking about reheating foods. We spoke that to reheat solid foods, which once they are cooked, get the name and label and appearance and taste of that particular food. So even if they're cooked, there's really no problem to reheat it, provided it's done in such a way that it doesn't appear to be like like cooking. However, when we're talking about liquid things, so then the the heat is part of the very essence and the definition of that cooked food. And there's a major distinction between cold soup and hot soup. Cold soup is virtually not not edible, right? Uh, cold uh, coffee or hot coffee, there's a tremendous, tremendous difference if they're cold or, or hot. And therefore, liquid foods, there is such a concept of bishel acha bishel, of cooking them even though they have been previously cooked. And therefore, if the liquid got cold, so, so if someone reheats that, Again, to the heat of Yatsa lettuce, well, let's call it 45 degrees. He's violating the prohibition of cooking on Shabbos 
from the Torah. Now, La Halacha, the Shulchan Aruch, uh, brings down in, in Shin Yudches, like the stricter opinion, that there is a problem of cooking by liquids, and that in fact is the custom, even by, by the Svarnim, that any liquid food that has become cold, and it's sort of gone below the temperature of Yadza lettuce boy. So it's lost its first cooking, and it's a Torah prohibition to heat it again above that 45 degree threshold. And therefore you cannot take a pot of soup out of the fridge and, and to warm it. And even if you, let's say, took the soup off the platter and it and, and the, the heat sort of, it, it, it lost its heat. It, it cooled down to the point where it's no longer Yatsa lettuce boy. You may not put it back on the platter. If you know for sure that it's still above the temperature of Yatsa lettuce boy, then you would be allowed to return it with certain conditions that we'll describe uh, later on for when you're allowed to return, return food. If let's say it was placed, let's say right next to the platter, then you could move, or on the edge of the platter, then you could move it to the to the middle of the platter in order to really, really get it piping hot. hot. And if most of the food, and let's say that pot, right, are are, are solids, even though there might be also some liquid gravy, it's also to to warm up that pot. Because warming up the gravy is a total prohibition of, of, of cooking. The only way to do it is take the solid food out of the pot and heat them separately. Right? And, and if there is a little bit of a moisture that's on them, that you don't have to worry, worry about. And, and therefore, I can also take a solid food and warm it up, let's say some fish or or, or meat that has a little bit of, of, of moisture, that's all right, because those kind of uh, liquids, they're not really so important, and they will be considered secondary to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the food. If you have a gel or something like that, like, uh, uh, right? Um, so when you heat it, that gel is going to become liquid again, so that is, has the status says the Mishnah Bura, where uh, it's like considered it doesn't have a liquid and you'd be allowed to heat it up. However, Asashkinazim uh, still have the minig l'chashchila not to warm up anything that has congealed because there are some uh, opinions that say that you should not do something that's going to cause something to change its, its, uh, its, its uh, condition from something solid to something liquid or the opposite, because in that action is a little bit of of a creation of something new, what we call noilad on on Shabbos. Right? If the the gravy is completely secondary to the solid food, so even the Ashkenazim would be allowed to heat that food. That's really all the time we're going to have. Just have a few seconds to wish you all a good Shabbos. Thank you for being with us. Please, God Hashem, should give us the kayak to be together again next week. All the best and have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos.